But if you know why, you're going to be able to affirm that this is important, that this is actually freedom, and that's going to get you out into the world and through tough things. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. If we haven't met, my name is Caitlin Harkis. I am a clinical psychologist, senior yoga and meditation instructor, and today we are talking panic attacks. So a lot of people that I work with have had the experience of a panic attack. It is a debilitating experience. It essentially feels like you're going to die. If you haven't experienced this, I really hope that this episode will cultivate a sense of empathy for friends, family members, folks you come across who struggle with panic. If you have had this experience, you know what's happening, right? The heart rate is pounding. It feels completely impossible to catch a breath, even though you keep breathing fast faster and faster. Your stomach knots and it feels like you could vomit. You know, your chest feels like it has this vice grip on it and that you could have a heart attack at any moment. So naturally in these circumstances, you start sweating, shaking, you feel totally out of control, and then you sort of start to feel like you could faint at any moment. As brief as a panic attack may be, it is terrifying, and it leaves you, the person who's had a panic attack, totally exhausted and scared of having another one. The first time I witnessed a panic attack was when I was in high school. I pulled my friend off the dance floor from the disco-lit school gymnasium, we went right to a back wall. And then after getting a little bit of help from some of the supervising teachers, we went into the nursing room. I didn't really understand exactly what was going on, but I was able to provide reassurance and to work with my friend to keep breathing. And she was crying out for a paper bag. We managed to find one and she started breathing into the paper bag. Now paper bags have long been used as a tool for panic. That's not necessarily the case now based on what we know is happening when an individual is experiencing a panic attack and other, um, yeah, challenges with reading the panic situation, but I'll explain a little bit more about that later, about why we wouldn't necessarily reach for a paper bag now. However, I want to explain a little bit more about that panic attack experience first. So the friend of mine in this story did not come to the next high school dance, which was pretty understandable. However, she also experienced panic attacks on the track field at the mall and suddenly i would only catch up with her at her house this is called agoraphobia where we start to get scared of leaving our house of leaving our safe surrounds we start to avoid places and circumstances in which panic attacks might have happened or that we think a panic attack might occur This is pretty common. It's a pretty common side effect. 
Another side effect is that we start to monitor our bodies for signs that we might be about to have a panic attack, for signs that we're struggling. So as we start self-monitoring and noticing, oh, is my breath a little bit off? Am I starting to feel warm? This checking experience can start to induce panic attacks itself because undoubtedly at some point you might start to notice something. For instance, if I ask you right now to sense the big toe in your right foot, so your right foot, big toe, can you feel it? Is the pressure from your shoe, is the toe on the ground? Is it warm or is it cool? The interesting thing is that moments ago, your toe was just doing its thing. You know, it wouldn't have been in your awareness at all. And yet when you start paying attention to it, you notice all the subtleties. So if you started paying attention to your heartbeat and a sense of tightness, tension around your chest area, and you zoned in on it, I have no doubt that you might start to perceive irregularities, you know, some tension that moments ago might have been unnoticed and unproblematic before you started to hyperfixate on it. The challenge is that when you notice then these changes in your physical state, this flags in your mind causing fear, and this sets off that cascade of physical reactions associated with it, right? It's not then just your heart rate going, it becomes your breath and it becomes that tension in your stomach, the knots, the warmth. Your mind can literally put your sympathetic nervous system into a fight or flight panic response by thinking about something scary like a tiger is what it's designed for, but like a panic attack. Thinking of a scary panic attack, it's wildly scary, I get it, that induces the physical symptoms that predict a panic attack. Additionally, if you're going outside in warmer seasons or inside in the cooler and you've got the heating on, this is all going to change your body temperature along with, you know, for instance, exercise, which will increase your heart rate, your breathing. And suddenly then these activities become your off of your to-do list, right? They become activities we get scared of. So exercise that is, you know, the ultimate anxiolytic and antidepressant may start to become off of your to-do list because those physical changes become really problematic. So even though it's terribly uncomfortable, it's scary, we know that panic attacks will not actually harm you and that using some tools and strategies, which we'll discuss here, might help the experience pass even quicker without robbing you of the freedom to go where you want to go and do the things you want to do that allow you to live a vital, a meaningful, a healthful life, a connected life, a fit life, these things that you might care about. The question then becomes, you know, what is a meaningful life? Generally, it does require movement outside of the four walls of your home, interacting with people you care about, investing your energy educationally, vocationally, recreationally, and the like. Generally, a meaningful life does mean doing uncomfortable things, feeling uncomfortable, including being willing to risk a panic attack with the knowledge that it may lead you to a bigger life. And you need those sense and tools, you know, strategies. We cannot fully control it, but we can use tools to navigate. Let's dive into it. 
The first thing you need to know is your why. Values are so important. It seems cruel to essentially expose you to different physical sensations or difficult emotions, challenging emotions, if there's no reason for it, right? If let's say you were terrified of some interesting animal that lives on one continent that you do not live, it wouldn't make sense to expose you again and again to that curious animal unless you were planning on traveling or wanted to travel to that continent or that animal for some reason lived nearby. This is a weird example, but we're running with it. My point is the only reason we would put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation, I think in a way that is helpful in our lives is because it serves us to get to a place that is meaningful and purposeful and, or it teaches us that we have the skills to do difficult, challenging things. If the purpose of exposing yourself and desensitizing yourself to this weird animal was because you wanted to prove to yourself that you can do that, that you can change these triggers, that you can change your relationship with animals, creatures, situations in your life that you have that mental fortitude, then of course that would make sense. So it's a matter of knowing your why. If you understand why riding the bus or going to a particular coffee shop, pub, catching up with friends, families, colleagues, or something is important, then you'll be much more likely to put yourself in a situation that does feel vulnerable. Might even seem like torture at times, right? But if you know why, you're going to be able to affirm that this is important, that this is actually freedom, and that's going to get you out into the world and through tough things. In the case of panic attacks, but broadly speaking, this is why values is so important across all the domains of work that I do, both therapeutically and in coaching. Knowing your why is huge. Next you need to cultivate acceptance skills. The skills that are going to allow you to let go the urge to resist, to fight your feelings. Essentially, you've got to let go of control, accept the situation internally and externally as it is. You might help to cultivate this by practicing labeling what you notice in a more detached manner. So you might say something along the lines, if you start to notice that your body's getting warm, saying to yourself, oh, I'm noticing warmth in my body. If your mind's going, oh no, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to be humiliating. You might say to yourself, oh, I'm noticing worry thoughts or, oh, there's that old story that I'm going to make a fool of myself. I always make a fool of myself. Oh, that old story. Thanks, mind. Whatever it is, you can label these stories, label these thoughts, label these feelings so that you're essentially training yourself to notice that you are something other than your thoughts, your feelings, your stories, your urges, your memories, your bodily sensations. You are something else. And as you label these experiences, you also start to notice that they come and they go, they shift and they change. You become less fused with them. You can learn to accept them just as they are. You know, these thoughts are products of a mind that thinks these changes in your physical states are products of a physical body that responds to its environment in different ways and is constantly shifting, changing, rebalancing. 
after you've acknowledged where you're at, you might gently remind yourself along the lines of all thoughts and feelings do come to pass and shift your attention to what I call the five skills. So if you're watching the video, I'm holding up my hand with the five fingers. If you're listening, imagine your hand being held up and looking at your hand and your fingers. So you've got five fingers. The first finger, put it down. That's going to represent five things you can see. So looking around, labeling five things you can see. Oh, I see a light. I see a window. I see a door. I see my like telephone. Go through five things. Then lower your next finger, labeling four things that you can hear. So I can hear the sound of traffic. I can hear the sound of Caitlin's voice. I can hear the sound of a colleague typing on the keyboard, whatever it is. Then lowering the next finger, finding three things you can feel, you know, the sense of my hips on the seat, my feet on the floor, two things, lowering the next finger that you can smell. And one thing that you can taste in my case, a recent coffee. So you can use that to then shift your attention, right? To draw your attention away from that hyperfixation that might happen to the physical sensations along with the catastrophic thinking that can happen. So it's not that you were just trying to repress difficult thoughts and feelings. I think it is really important to acknowledge them, but to also learn that you can shift, you can divert your attention. These thoughts and feelings do not need to consume you. You can build your attentional strength, your muscle. You can also use this five things to label, you know, five red things, five blue things, five green things. If looking at things, visually looking at things is more important to you, more effective, I should say. You could put on your favorite song, you know, a song that induces a state of calm or excitement, but excitement that may not be scary because it's excitement that you might attribute to the song, to the memories. What is incredibly interesting to me is that excitement is the same physiological response as fear. It's just that we attribute it differently. We might go, oh, I'm so excited. You know, this is something that I feel really giddy in my body, you know, versus fear. It's like, ooh, must run. So it's interesting how we can respond differently depending on how we appraise the situation as a whole, but very similar physiological states. So putting on your favorite song, maybe choose some strong gum or even eat like a sour lolly. You know, those warhead lollies, super, super sour. If you eat one of those, it is going to draw all of your focus, all of your attention to that sour sensation, which interrupts those thinking processes, those loops that you might be caught in, as well as changing what you're noticing in your physical state and changing your physical state because it's just so sour. So just interrupting those cycles can be really, really useful. It is important that whatever tools you're using as best you can, if part of the panic, the fear is around the environment, you do need to stay in the situation. Your body can only sustain really, really high levels of anxiety of panic for at max 20 minutes. And I know that sounds like a lot, but that's going to be when it kind of comes down, goes up, goes down, goes up. 20 minutes is exhausting. And that means that at the end of the 20 minutes, your body's going to stop that physiological cycle, that response. Essentially, you're training your mind and your body that it's safe to be in this environment. 
This is so important because if you leave before you've relaxed into the situation, into the environment, the moment you leave the situation, your anxiety will decrease. And that sends a message to your mind. Oh yeah, that situation was really dangerous. Look, now I feel safe. So the next time a similar situation or environment is presented, you are going to have more anxiety than you did the time before because you've already affirmed that the only way out is to run, to escape. And that's going to continue. So every time you leave, more and more anxiety associated with the situation. Every time you stay, you affirm to yourself, to your physiological body, you know, your cognitive body, I am safe. I'm okay. I made it through. And you need to do that a few times to start break that cycle of anxiety. It's very much a cycle. So please know your why of staying and ride it out. Use your tools, ride it out. You might also remind yourself when you've been in a situation like this before and these feelings, even if it feels like you're going to have a heart attack, for instance, it wasn't the case. They were part of the experience of a panic attack. If you can remind yourself of this, remind yourself about medical feedback you might've had on this. If you sought medical advice after the first one and consider the likelihood that this too might be a panic attack, that might help you to stay in the situation. Consider the reassurance that you might provide a loved one who is going through something similar. You would likely offer them reassurance, compassion. Could you offer yourself the same? One final useful tool is breath, right? Your breath rests on the border of the conscious and the unconscious. And while changing how your heart is beating or where the blood is pumping is near impossible, cultivating a healthy breathing pattern is very viable. And interestingly, when you're panicked, it's going to feel like you can't get enough breath. So you're going to start to really do these deep, quick inhales, and you're going to start to shorten your exhale, which results in an imbalance of oxygen and carbon dioxide in your system, which actually creates more panic. That's why you start to feel dizzy. So when you're feeling dizzy with more oxygen, and then you're trying to breathe quicker to get more, you're going to feel worse. Carbon dioxide is actually a relaxant. So if you can actually slow your exhale in these situations, low, slow flow, you are going to help exit, move through that panic response more easily. This is why paper bags historically, like the one my friend used, were so common. They were actually an attempt to restore the lost carbon dioxide. So in that bag, you'd be breathing back in that CO2. However, they cultivate dependence on the paper bag and they're no more useful than consciously slowing your exhale. There's also like a little bit of a risk um, associated with them because if we don't know if someone has an underlying condition, if you have an underlying condition, using that paper bag and actually trying to inhale carbon dioxide in an artificial matter may be actually quite dangerous, certainly unhelpful. So if you can work on instead slowing your exhale, you're still ensuring a healthy amount of oxygen will get into your system whilst having the benefits of rebalancing your oxygen and CO2. Another tip, breathe through your nose. Your whole filtration system is set up to have you breathing through your nose. And I did a podcast episode um, a couple weeks ago on breathwork. So just flick back and look for the breathwork 
podcast episode, you can just search it as well. I'll put it in the show notes so you can link directly through. The thing is that with breath work, you do need to practice it when you're not panicked. The same way, you know, if you're a basketball player, you wouldn't expect to make that three-point shot if you've never practiced it before the game, right? If you've practiced it and you've rehearsed and you've gone through that three-pointer time and time again in less pressured situations, then when it comes to this like final high-pressured basketball game and you go for it, we know you're more likely to get that shot in. Doing things in pressured situations and new situations is always hard. So practice them in a calm situation. When you're calm first, this is the same of the breathing exercise. Once you've established breath work as a tool, something that's familiar to you, then you can use it really effectively in a situation where you are starting to kind of get into that red zone, right? When you're panicked. It's also important, please make sure you're also looking after yourself generally. And I mentioned the challenge with exercise, but even in the beginning, as you're starting to work through these panic experiences, moving your body, if that's a gentle walk, great. If exercise is okay for you, brilliant. It is the most effective way to manage stress. And as I said, it's an anxiolytic and antidepressant, and it's the most effective anxiolytic and antidepressant. So please make use of that neurochemistry. Make sure you're eating well, avoiding drinking substances that might increase your anxiety um, or impact on your panic experience. So for some, this might mean being mindful of caffeine for others or similar, you know, alcohol, smoking, other drugs, these things affect your neurobiology. So just be mindful of what sits within your system. And of course, continuing engagement if you have in building therapeutic skills generally. So cultivating psychological flexibility, which is part of the acceptance and commitment therapy, um, a modern mindfulness approach framework is an evidence-based way to address not just panic, but to really cultivate some of the suffering that we experience as humans as well as to lean into building a meaningful life. So it's used in coaching contexts as well. So cultivating thriving purpose in your life. It's not just about getting through the tough times. So in short, I wanted to say that I really, really do get it. I can't say that I've had a full panic attack myself. However, the near miss was after I had been trained in some of the tools I just shared with you. So I do want to share this because it definitely gave me a sense for what unfolds. I was in a particularly pressured period, a sleepless period in my life, and I was driving and I noticed how impacted I was, right? I felt like I was ready to cry. I couldn't catch my breath. My heart was feeling like it was going a million miles a minute and my chest was caving in and I wasn't sure what to do, right? I was like, do I pull over? How will I then get home? What's going to happen? And I started counting cars. I started listening for sounds. I started reminding myself to do that exhale. I actually put one hand down to my tummy for a while, making sure I was breathing down into my tummy because I noticed I was caught up in my chest. I was saying, you know, through the nose to three, out the mouth, two, three, four, through the nose, two, three. This is a pattern that works for me. You might have your own pattern and you can learn about um, some effective relaxation breathing exercises in that podcast episode on breath work. So in this situation, I made it home, got out of the car, shut the car door and had a big cry. 
I know for certainty that without those skills, I would have pulled over and I don't know what would have come next, but it seems like that would have been the context in which I experienced a full-blown panic attack, right? The world was starting to get very small. <laughs> the, the vision was starting to pull more forward. And of course, you know, I may have an experience yet to navigate in my life. However, knowing that I have these tools leaves me really affirmed that I've got something to lean on in those tough times. And that's often what it's about is a sense that we can get through it, a sense that we've got something in our pocket to help us through, as well as a label. If you haven't ever experienced a panic attack, now you might know, okay, I'm starting to notice that it's getting harder to breathe. I'm starting to notice that I'm warm, that my chest feels tight. Your mind might come back to this episode and you might go, okay, I'll do the breathing. I'll find the five things I can see, the four things that I can... um, here, like it gives you a sense to be able to label. If this is something you're working through right now, please make sure that you are taking care of yourself and that you are getting the professional support that you do need. I know it's a really challenging and painful experience. And one thing that has been useful for me as well, like breathing first started for me on the yoga mat. And in fact, my whole my whole life sort of psychology journey started on the yoga mat because I was a yoga teacher first. And I became a yoga teacher because yoga as a practice helped me immeasurably. And it was from there, I went on to be like, why is yoga so useful? And I did my PhD exploring yoga as a clinical intervention. So it's an area I have spent years and years and years researching, and I've developed a course called Yoga Brain 101, which teaches the six psychological flexibility skills, the acceptance and commitment skills, alongside practical experiential yoga classes, breathing exercises, some tools that help you to cultivate a sense that you've got capacity to go through difficult things, as well as a sense of purposefulness, moving you not just from survival mode, but to a sense of being able to thrive, even when life is hard, even when you've got a bazillion things on your plate, when you've got some sleepless nights and some pressure, if you can get a sense as to tools, a sense of direction, of purpose, you can get through those stressful periods, those challenging periods, and create a life that is meaningful and purposeful for you. If you haven't already signed up to Yoga Brain 101, if you head to drcaitlin.com backslash yoga brain. You'll be able to get notified when the course does open, get a bit more information, or if this is during an open period when you're listening, come along and join us. It would be wonderful to connect there. I hope that you and yours are well, that this information around panic has been useful and applicable, and I'll look forward to connecting next week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.